0: This morning I I really want to talk about um, something that's really on my heart, that's been on Pastor Tark's heart, it's been mentioned many times up here, and uh, we all understand goals in team sports, often going... You know, getting a ball from one end of the paddock down to the other or, you know, getting a ball into a net somewhere along the line. And uh, whether it's a team that we support or we take our own children, we all understand that. We understand that there's usually an opposition. There's There's a team trying to stop us from getting that goal or getting that ball in the net. And we know that skills will differ as well. Uh, depending on age or experience. So just give me a wave this morning. If you've ever played any sport, give me a wave. At school? Anywhere? So most people would be able to say, yes, you know, I've played sport. I understand that. But no matter how skillful players become, they cannot succeed without a game plan, a cohesive set of unwritten rules that team members agree to abide by. Team sports need each other and rely on each other to play their part. You'd agree, wouldn't you? We've seen in the past where our girls' hockey team, some years ago, they had excellent players in there, but they didn't play as a team, and they lost terribly. Fortunately, this time, Commonwealth Games, of course, they won the gold medal, and uh, quite a cohesive team. Those on the sideline or in the back are also often crucial to the success of the team or even the individual. You've probably all played a sport and have uh, appreciated the wider circle of coaches, managers, drivers, and even, of course, the ever-present sacrificial parents that cart their kids everywhere. Winning the game or match is important, but in sport, winning off the game is also important. We like to see our kids developing sportsmanship. And I remember our uh, fourth son, fourth son, yeah, or fourth child, um, you know, he wanted to play cricket. And as he grew up, he wanted to do this. And we encouraged him to do it as well. And he joined the, the school cricket team. And on Saturday mornings, we would take him there. He was quite young. But, you know, he wasn't interested in what the other kids were doing. He just wanted to go in there and bat when it was his turn. And so after he'd done his bat, he was just off. He wasn't interested. And it was just sort of that, how do, you know, come on, this is a team sport. You've got to be clapping and encouraging the other guys. But we want to see our kids develop, you know, an interest in what the others are doing. And to win is awesome, but to show sportsmanship, that's a higher level again. Those who watch the recent Commonwealth Games will have seen some great achievements, but also, unfortunately, some bad sportsmanship. You know, I think of the mountain biker Sam Gaze achieved an amazing feat to come from behind having stopped to repair a flat tyre. If you actually think about that, you know, mountain biking's hard. It's, it's hilly. The terrain's uphill and downhill, And yet he was able to stop for a flat tyre and not only that, afterwards catch up to the winners and then win the race. It was just an an amazing event. And of course he got the gold medal. But sadly his bad grumpy outburst towards his fellow New Zealander and the silver medalist Anton Cooper saw his behaviour quickly labelled as bad sportsmanship. And, if, in fact, if you put in poor sportsmanship in Google, Commonwealth Games, he will come up in the first six out of seven um, references that come up. You know, but on the other hand, if we look at the New Zealand weightlifter, David Leite, didn't just leave the Gold Coast with a gold medal. we got that there, Riley? You know, a record lift of 229 kilograms. Now, that was actually heavier than he was. Anybody here can lift that? Lance? Anybody? (laughs) Richard? (laughs) Imagine being able to lift yourself above your head, you know. (laughs) It's a pretty awesome feat. But he was awarded the David Dixon Award for Outstanding Sporting Spirit. Having been recognized for assisting his Samoan rival who collapsed attempting his lift. So which would we rather have? You know, a reputation for good or for bad. I think of the sportsmanship, whether good or bad, often remembered is remembered actually longer than the actual sporting achievement. If we look at the next picture, that was 37 years ago. <laughs> And why I bring that up, not because I'm uh, sour taste in my mouth about that (laughs) incident, but it's what Trevor uh, Trevor Chappell's just said recently, you know. He felt that he was now passing the mantle on to the ball-tampering incident, (laughs) also uh, played out by the same team, and he says, you know, this... The delivery to deny New Zealand any chance of victory when they needed us you know, I don't know if you know, the underarm anyway. They denied the New Zealand team any chance of a victory by bowling underarm. And he said, I thought it was a good idea at the time, but not these days. I struggled a lot with it mentally. I was vilified for years and people still ask about it. It's 37 years later. I don't know if my brothers have done better in life than me after what happened. Greg copped it at the time, but the quiet life certainly chose me after that. My marriage broke down, and I never remarried or had kids. Quite sad, really, isn't it? You know, just a little incident that happens like that. These days, all I do is coach cricket to kids and play golf. Now, I don't hold it against them at all, but you feel sad, you know? Is these, these things have consequences. But what is the equivalent of team sportsmanship in the church? We are a team. We have a combined purpose, a common goal. We all have God-given skills and talents. We have a very real enemy to contend with. We surely have a desire to succeed as well, to finish our race and to win the prize. That, that should be within us. And yet, what do we see as the equivalent of Christian sportsmanship? Could it be, if someone forces you to go one mile, you go two miles? Would that be it? Or, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Could that be at the top of the list? What about rejoice with those who rejoice, as we see in Romans? All these are very good and excellent, but I believe there is something even greater. Now, Pastor Tark is passionate about this, I'm passionate about it, and I know some of you have because you tell me about it. So if we have a look at this slide here, it's actually unity, and I'm going to go into that with a little more depth to show you why that rates so highly, how good and pleasant is when God's people live together in unity, for there the Lord bestows or commands the blessing. And so as a church, we often pray for strong unity, everyone to be a champion of unity, to pray against the enemy that causes this unity, and, of course, humility of heart to walk in unity. But why do I rate it so highly? In the upper room, shortly before he was arrested, Jesus prayed this prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. We just... um, Got a little bit slow in that uh, thing there. Now I know some of the as I've mentioned before, this is sometimes this is the only Bible you get. You don't get a chance to read it during the week, so we give it to you on Sunday. So I encourage you to, to go through this with me. My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, and all of them may be one Father, just as you are. It's a very high calling, if you really think about it. It's one thing to be a Christian. There's another thing to be one, as Christ and God are one. God's high calling to the church is unity. Those that believe would not only become a unified body of believers, but also one with the Father. Now, really, if you think about that, how amazing is that? Since coming to the north, I think I've heard the desire for unity more than anything else. The churches need to be in unity, more combined meetings, more combined youth, more combined prayer meetings. And I agree, some of this is good. And I'm not against meeting together, but I'm also very mindful of what God has called us, this campus, to do. We, you and me, have been given a mandate, a commission, and a task to complete. You probably... Don't need reminding, but we have been called to be what? An apostolic influence, as we see up here, an arrow of truth, winning souls, in other words, making disciples, igniting God's fire and power here in New Zealand, and for some of you, out into the nations. That's what the mandate on this church is. And that's why this message is so important. When people suggest this or that, I ask myself: Will this help us to get closer to the try line, or take us closer to the sideline? Is it part of God's plan for us? Because we need to be united to reach our goal. Now you can see this. Now we are a team. This campus is a team. We're a we're a. A part of a body, a greater body. There's the Church of Jesus Christ, isn't there? Which is the whole body, all the churches is the Church of Jesus Christ. But this campus has a mandate. Our ca- mandate is different. Let's say from the Salvation Army, our mandate is different from the Baptist Church. You know, our our mandate is different from the Seventh Day Adventist Church. But we have a mandate. You know, you can't help but be challenged by speakers at the New Zealand and Beyond Conference. And it was nice to hear those at our Thursday prayer meeting recount uh, different parts that they had picked up from that. But the thing that struck me the most from that conference was the number of agencies Alan Scott's Northern Ireland Church had built partnership with. Their church had built Partnerships in the community with 140 different agencies. That's just enormous. If I think about how many agencies we are partnering with, that is just absolutely huge. We've been going now three, three and a half years, and you know, we've got a way to go, but it's you guys and me, it's us together to connect with the community. And that is the main mandate that we've been given. We are all strategically placed to see this commission fulfilled, but as a team, helping, encouraging one another. And that's where, are we interested in each other? Who are you interested in this room? If you look around, you scarily look around who's sitting near you and that, are you interested in anybody else in the room apart from... One or two, or yourself. And me too. Are we interested? I try to visit, or Sally and I try to visit as many people as we can. And one thing I want to know is what's on your heart? Why were you called here? What's your purpose? Because we want to see people fulfilling their purpose. Because you're strategically placed in this community. You're there. You're like a jigsaw puzzle, it's a piece that fits in amongst other pieces, and another piece fits in amongst other pieces, if you know what I mean? And all those borders are what God has ordained for you. We've got to be careful not to get sidetracked into good ideas that are not God ideas, and worse, sidetracked into doing anything because we don't realize we are part of a team. You know, we don't want to just be doing nothing. One of the sternest telling-offs is found in Matthew, and I thought it would be just good to remind us of this. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, and you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, we have to be mindful of what God is asking us to do. And we need to be about our father's business. I received this message on a messenger from a lady who was in the conference. And she said, Hi, Pastor Paul. How's your week after conference? I've had a great few days, have street witnessed and harvest one soul, deliverance and healing of abandonment all on the side of the road next to the library. The next day, I had deliverance and healing prayer. Person slain in the spirit, delivered of anxiety. Healing prayer, word of knowledge for three people. It was awesome. Prayed for Buddhists. He felt heat on fingers as I prayed for ADHD. And then shared with atheists, invited to church, revival outside the walls, and ministry to individuals. All glory to God. Now, is that a picture of your day? Is that a picture of your week? Here's a a mum who goes to the conference, gets fired up, and she says, I've got a message. I need to get out there. And those are just, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight people she's just had contact with. That's us. That's the challenge. And it challenges me. I want to celebrate achievements and successes. And in the coming weeks, I would love to celebrate more testimonies to spur us on. So please let me know. Please message me. Please tell me what is happening out there, what you are doing out there. Some might say, hang on a minute, we're supposed to be humble. And in a sense, we do, humble of heart. The Bible would be pretty thin If all the exploits, victories, successes of ordinary men and women and boys and girls were left out, wouldn't it? It's full of successes. It's full of exploits. God put them in the Bible to encourage us to spur us on to great deeds and win. As it says in Daniel, the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Also in Revelation we read, they triumphed over him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their, that's yours and my, testimony. They, You and me did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, we need to get the testimonies out of what the church is doing and what Kaitaia Campus is doing. I'm happy to read them out. I'm happy probably for some of you to share them, but we need the enemy to know that it's the word of our testimony and the blood of Jesus that is putting him on notice. Jesus, Jesus told us, people do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There's a point where our good deeds need to be out there, all right? Because it points a pathway to Jesus Christ. As mentioned earlier, we've been praying for an increased unity in the church, everyone to be a champion of unity, praying against the work of the enemy and, of course, humility, of heart, because greater unity brings greater blessing. in fact, unity is the core value of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They encourage each other, they support each other. But you know you never hear about you know that they had an argument, they had a, a bit of a blue, you know that Jesus and the, and his father had a row, and you know Jesus went off and hid in a cave or something like that or down to his man cave, we just don't even think it is possible. But God wants us to be in unity with him and of the same mind. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul encourages us to do the same. He says, be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in 1 Corinthians, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, we need that, but if you're not interested in anybody else, you never have to bring that into play. If you don't sort of care about anybody else in the body, well, you could say, yeah, we've got unity in the body, but I'm not really interested about everybody, but we should be interested in one another. And there's two levels. One, we want somebody else to succeed, so we encourage them. Two, somebody might be in a hole. And if we don't ask or we're not interested, (coughs) we can't help them out of that hole. So we need to be interested in each other, and we need to be unified. And I think most people think that's what unity is about. Here we're unified, we get on, All right? But are we effective? That's the other area. If we look at this uh, next picture, (coughs) now you can picture yourself in that. You're either on the outside there just watching what's going on. All right? Those are spectators there. There are many spectators in the body of Christ. So you can choose in your own heart which one you are. You're those people there behind the barrier, and you're spectators or you could be these people at the bottom here that are supporting others to achieve. Now, most of you would prefer, you know, probably to be down in the blue uniform, but there are our young people should be flying high. Don't you agree? But how do they fly high? <laughs> By our support and example, yes. All right? So we as a church, I want us as a church, campus here, to be the people in the blue shirts at the bottom there. That's that's the team. That's where I want you. And I want some of you up the top there. There needs to be more people at the bottom than at the top, by the way. (laughs) Matt, do you want to go up the top? (laughs) You and Frank. And we need more people at the bottom. But whoever it is that wants to be at the top, we need people you know, that's going to support them through prayer, through encouragement, through finances. You know, how can we have support? But this is a great picture of the church. Then there's the icing on the cake. I sort of touched on unity, but then there's the icing on the cake. King David in Psalm 133, and you've heard it before, how good and pleasant is it when God's people... (coughs) Live together in unity, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. I'm going to have to have a drink. Now, I put this picture here, and you've been having that picture as your background the whole way through, wondering what on earth it was, but that's actually Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is about uh, 2,814 metres above sea level and sits in the far north of Israel. And yet it's at the southern end of a range of mountains that straddle... um, Syria, and Lebanon. So it's in that sort of peak at the top of Israel. And on that mountain, there's also a ski resort. So you've got the desert of Israel and the heat, and you can go for a drive in the winter up to the ski resort there, which has about 45 um, ski different ski runs. Anyway, it's quite popular up there, but there's a lot of armed guards as well. There's a lot of soldiers up there because it's where, where it is. But as the crow flies, Mount Hermon is about 200 kilometers north from Zion, Mount Zion, which is in Jerusalem. So naturally, the dew that brings subsidence to the flora of Mount Hermon is not going to reach Mount Zion. Now, if, you've, if we go back to that verse, if we look at slide 14 again, Riley, that you can see, and you can just read these verses. You know, you just scroll through that, oh yes, um, and the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Have you ever thought that those two mountains were 200 kilometers apart? So it's sort of a bit of an odd statement, and, but what does it actually mean? So Mount Zion is actually quite dry, and if we look at, I think, this next, next slide, you can see the contrast, can't you? Anybody see the difference? Now, of course, this one down the bottom here wasn't taken at the time of um, King David because there's a few satellite dishes around. But that's Mount Zion on the side of the Jerusalem there. It's part of the, the city there. And we see that, you know, it says as if the Jew here, the Holy Spirit, if you think about that, of Hermon, our Heavenly Father, were falling on Mount Zion, his church, for there, the Lord bestows His blessing even evermore, so it's a picture of our life or the church, and the Jew or the the sustenance from the head, which is our Father, the Jew being the Holy Spirit to come into our life so Whether King David was dreaming when he was sitting in Jerusalem and whether he could see the mountain 200 kilometers away, I don't know. But whether he was dreaming that that sustenance could be down where he was, it's a good analogy of us wanting the Spirit to come and touch our lives. And how does that come? Well, there's a catch. It says, uh, as it says in here, slide 17, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So it's also, it's, it's actually saying that we can have it, but there's something that we need to do. In fact, it's one of the best pictures of the Holy Spirit in the church, this verse here. You know, but when we're, what do we want to be unified about? That's the thing. Because unity precedes the blessing. So, in other words, we need to be in unity as a campus. We need to be as unity for actually to receive the blessing when we come to worship this morning. You know, I just I, there was an expectancy about it. In fact, the spirit was here before you even arrived, as they were worshiping. You know, and as as expectant. But then, if you imagine that we're all worshiping, but where, where were our minds? How many of you, your mind was somewhere else? How many, you know, you were looking at somebody else or you were watching what somebody else was doing or you were, your mind was on breakfast or lunch or fishing or something else. So if, if God was looking down on us and he looked at our heads and those that were thinking about him or worshiping him, let's say our heads were white. And those that weren't, were, their minds were miles away, let's say their, their heads were yellow or something, you know? Where there have been more yellow heads than white heads. And I think when we come to worship, when we come into unity, where more of us have got our heart on him, he commands the blessing. And that's not to say that his spirit can't move because six people in the congregation are passionate about him. But imagine if 60 people, you know, during worship were, compassionate, were, were passionate about Christ coming. He's going to to do something because he promises it. When you're in unity, then the blessing flows. Promise after promise, and we've got to get this, there's a part for us to play first. We could go through hundreds of these. You know, draw near to me. He says, draw near to me, and then what? I will draw near to you. He says, give, you give, and then I will give unto you. Honor your parents, and then it shall go well with you, and you live a long life. In other words, he's wanting us to do stuff. And I I tried to think of something where he does it first. I thought of, you know, he died on the cross first. But then he says, no, no, I died on the cross, but you've got to believe... those who believe in me shall then have eternal life. If you know what I mean? So there's a part for us to play. So unity is something that we should hunger after. It's something that we want. It's something that we're, we should be precious about. You know, shh, sh- sh- we're going to be worshipping. Come on, we've got to be there at 10 o'clock. You know, we need to be there when the bell goes. We want to be in unity. We want to have that presence come. We want those miracles. We want, we want something, don't you? Or is it just me? Is it just me? I pray. When I'm there, I don't know what you're praying, but I'm praying that God will touch His people. I'm not even praying that He'll touch me. I don't know what you're praying. Heal me. Whatever. Restore me. Fill my pocket up. I don't know what you're praying, but I'm praying that He'll touch you guys. But half of you aren't even here yet. (laughs) You're walking past the door. You know what I mean? We need to be here. And I'm not growling at you, or maybe I am. But I want to be in unity. Why am I praying for unity when nobody else wants to be in unity? But if we get it, if we we see it, then we receive the blessing. Then the dew that falls on Mount Hermon will fall in Zion. And I think it's a bit dry in Zion at the moment. It's a picture of the church. I think it's a bit dry. Not just our church, other churches. I think it's a bit dry. But there's something we can be. We can be one in worship. I look forward to, to, if you've read the Old Testament, I'm getting sidetracked here, but if you read the Old Testament and you think about the tent where Moses and Joshua used to go into, and they had different coverings over it and they had seal skins and things like that. So you can picture it. They're going to meet with God. And, and they've got all this stuff on there possibly to keep the noise out. I don't know. But they've got all these coverings. And can you imagine just pulling that back and going in to the presence of God? It's, it's, a, it's a great place to go. And that's what it should be like on Sunday mornings. We're looking forward to getting into the presence of God. And when we come out, our faces are glowing, you know, when I look at stand up here and see your faces glowing because you've been in the presence of God, and you're going to take that out into the community. I want that. Does anybody else want that? On their release from prison, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Don't forget they'd been beaten severely. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. There it is. One heart, one mind. I reckon the heart part is the easiest bit. The mind is the difficult part. You've got to reign in the mind. I think we all would want to see what what the apostles were seeing, what the disciples were seeing. We would all want to see that. Our heart would want to see that. But what was our mind doing? Where was our mind? One heart, one mind. We as a church need to pray, Lord, help me, help us to be in unity. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. You know, we need to catch those, and we need to chuck them out. We need to pray that we will be a champion, a winner for unity. We need to succeed. We have a community to reach. I don't think there's disunity in this place. I don't think, I didn't think when I was bringing this message that we had disunity. I didn't, you know, I didn't think that, you know, we're gossipers. I don't think most people are up, or hardly anybody, nobody's upset with anybody. I don't think, I don't hear it. People aren't grumbling against anybody else. I think we're a good church. But I think it's time, as we get onto the field, we've got to be unified. All right? And the field is the community. And we need to unify ourselves to be partners into the community because every one of you every single one of you has got a finger in that community footprints in that community but we need to come together to see us reach that community in a unified way so i want to see unity as working towards the same goal the same game plan The same team notes, a bit like an orchestra. You know, the orchestra, you're you're beautiful people. I mean, I really mean that. And if you've ever been to an orchestra, my parents took me. I haven't been since I was a child, but I've seen it and I looked it up on YouTube as well. When the instruments are warming up, can anybody picture what that sounds like? You know, but all the instruments are good instruments and they're all playing, but they're all doing their own thing. And it's a, it's a noise, but it's still beautiful instruments. And then the conductor comes in, doesn't he? And he goes with his baton. Silence. And then he raises it up. I've got my fingers right. <laughs> He's got it in his fingers. And then he goes. And they just play awesome, don't they, together? And that's what I want to do. I want to see the church as you are awesome people. You've got an awesome God living in you. You've got an awesome plan uh, destined for you that some of you are walking in already. But together as a campus, we have a mandate. And I want to bring that together. Not as do as I say. Do what the Lord is saying in your heart. But let's do it together. Amen? That's what I'd like to see. And that's the purpose of this message. I'd like the musicians to come up, please. And We're just going to bring this slide up, the last one here. It's just a simple slide. We need to be one with the Lord. Amen? Everybody agrees with that, don't we? One. But it's more than that. If you're not doing what God's asking you to do... You're not really at one. So you need to be asking God, what is your plan for me? We need to be one as a church. We hear somebody say something bad about somebody. We say, hey, that's part of my, that's part of my church. I don't, want to, I don't want to listen to that. I'm not even going to listen. We need to stick up for each other. Not that we're not doing that. I don't hear bad things, but we need to be champions for unity. This is, this is your team, if that's what you want to be part of. This is your team, but we need to run onto the field. We need to be on the game. We need to be heading for the try line. And, of course, then the icing, as I said on the cake, is the blessing that God brings His Spirit into us. Into our meetings, into our prayer meetings, into our worship, into everything that we do, that anointing, that that dew of Herman. It can just fall on us at any time. I hunger for that. I hunger for that as a church. Because I want you to experience it. I'm telling the I'm telling Emma all the time, take us in take us in I'm hungry for that I can do it in my living room I can do it in my bedroom some of you can probably do it as well you can enter into his presence his presence is here now but where's your mind where's your heart do you hunger after it because you want the person beside you to have it or do you hunger after it because you want you to have it it needs to be both You want the person behind you to have it. You want the person in front of you to have it. I'm happy if it starts at the back, at Dion. I'm happy if it starts with you, mate. And that comes to the front. We're young people, but we've got a hunger for it.